Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. Y'all have a seat. Good morning. And Merry Christmas. Give me that. We're close. Can you smell it? That's Christmas that you smell. And you woke up this morning. That wasn't just a cold front. That was Christmas that you smelled this morning. <laughs> I was thinking this week uh, about how, see if, you, see if you connect to this, how as you grow up and get older, receiving gifts becomes a lot less fun. You, you, because you get it because the gifts you get become more and more practical. As you're a kid, I mean, it's all about toys, and then you move into the electronic stage, and then somewhere, somehow, you end up in the 24-pack of black socks from Costco stage, <laughs> because that's what you needed, right? That's what you needed. Christmas is, is this time of giving and receiving with our families, and as you get older, you keep going, this is where it's at. I never knew how marriage would change the way you receive Christmas gifts. You know what I'm talking about? But before, we've been married 19 years now, uh, and, and I remember the Christmas before we got married, I got a DVD player. Pretty good. The Christmas after we got married, we got dishes. Because that's what you need when you're married and have an apartment and it's just two of you and 500 square feet. You need dishes. That's what you need. I thought the day that we went to register at Target and at the stores for our wedding registry was going to be the best day of my life. You have a one, you have a gun, and it scans anything that you want, and people have to buy that thing for you. So I'm going around going, big screen TV, zip, you know, DVDs, zip, Michael Jordan poster, zip, all these things, they're going to be perfect for our new home. And Lindsay's going, no, 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 we need dish towels, we need utensils, we need crock pots, and somehow someone thought we needed seven, so let's get them all in every shade and color. I've noticed this too, maybe you've noticed this, as you get older, there's a, a time where you begin to want your needs. Have you realized that? You begin wanting your needs a little more. If you're like, hey, Kevin, what, what do you really want for Christmas? One thing I'm thinking is I'd love to have a vacuum cleaner for my garage. <laughs> Some, have a nice shop back. That would be awesome. I need that. I kind of want that. Some sweatpants would be nice. It'd be really awesome to have a new pair of sweatpants. And, and, and I mean, basic things, we're running out of coffee. I saw that this morning. I'm going, oh. I'd really, I'd really like some coffee, maybe some milk, some eggs, some fabric softener, Kevin McAllister's list from the grocery store. All of those things would be great gifts, unless you're like really shopping for me, and a big screen TV would be really nice also. <laughs> really stretching here. I'm really trying to pull this together. Here, here's the swing. There's a text I want to share you this, with you this morning, and we will talk about in it some of the difference between wants and needs. That's here in the text. But this is one of the most beautiful texts that gives us a peek into the life and the heart and the ministry of Jesus. And there's so, you can look at it from all these different sides and angles, and there's so much to learn and see. And I love this, but today as we look at it, one of the things that we're going to talk about is who we really are. We're also going to talk about what faith really looks like. And then we're going to talk about what the impact it is on our friends when you and I live a real life of faith. The passage we'll look at is in Mark 2, if you want to grab your Bible. It's a story of Jesus healing the paralytic in Mark 2. And I've loved this passage my whole, like my entire Bible reading life. I've loved this passage from the first moment I heard the story. You're probably familiar with it. Mark chapter 2, verse 1 starts like this. It says, When Jesus had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. 
And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door, as he was speaking the word to them. And they came, we're going to find about they, we'll find out about them. They came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven, or to say to him, get up and pick up your pallet and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he turned and he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up and immediately he picked up his pallet and he went out inside of everyone so that they were all amazed and they were glorifying God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, I want you to try to imagine the paralytic's life in the ancient world. He, he lives out his life on a three foot by six foot mat laying there. He has to have help with everything. People have to help him, help feed him, help, help clean him, help bathe him, help move him so he doesn't develop bed sores, all the things that he can't do by himself. He'll never experience that feeling of, of complete independence that you and I crave and that we celebrate so much in our lives. And in his day and age, in this ancient world, there's nothing that could be done. There were no body scans. There were, was, was no surgery, no PT, no therapy, no treatment that would cure this. This is just his Life And we don't have a lot of details about his life, but when you read about other paralytics in the Bible, you find that life was grim. They were marginalized. They probably didn't have a job. He probably didn't have a way to make any money. He had no prospects in his life. It's just kind of like, this is it for me, just to lay here. But this guy in Mark 2, he has one thing that's very valuable. What does he have? His friends. His friends, and we don't even really know what kind of friends they were. I, I'm not, I don't know from the details if they were old friends, if they'd grown up together, or if these guys were always there helping him out, taking care of him. But what, what we find in Luke's gospel is it just says some men were bringing him to Jesus. And, and Matthew and Luke and other translations pick up this language, some men, and it says that there were four of them, brought this guy to Jesus. And we don't know really how close they all were. We don't know if they shared secrets with each other and they told stories and they supported each other and comforted each other and, and all of these things all the time. But we really don't have even this story to read about and to look back on and to learn from if these guys didn't act like friends are supposed to act. When we read the story, one of the temptations for us is to read it. I do this. I immediately go, the four friends, that's me. I'm one of the four friends. That's who I'm supposed to be in the story. And that's a way to look at it. We will look at it that way. That way. It's good to look at it that way. But first, I think it's really important that we remember, do not forget that we were and that we are also the man lying on the mat. We were and we are this man lying on the mat. My, my friend Kirk, a lot of you know Kirk, he shared this quote with me years ago, and I've held on to it. It's another pastor said this. He said, here's the truth about us. Everybody has a mat. Let the mat stand as a picture of human brokenness and imperfection. And it's not always a physical thing. Maybe your mat is a raging temper or fear or an inability to trust 
Maybe your mat is a need to be in control all of the time. Maybe your mat involves a terrible secret about some awful thing that you did and you still feel guilty about. Maybe it's a crushing sense of failure or inadequacy or loneliness. I have a mat. I have a whole stack of mats. It's this stuff that just I keep struggling through in my life. I keep going through life and I struggle with them. I, I, reading this this week, I'm just going, oh, that's one of my mats. When I stepped into something else this week and another thing, oh, that's, that's one of my mats. I have mats. And you have a mat of some kind. It's a weakness, a struggle, a brokenness inside, something that's going on that you fight with, that you struggle with, that steals your peace, that steals your joy. It keeps you from experiencing life in the way that deep down you really know that you should or that you could. And the, the interesting thing when we look at Mark 2 is this guy could not hide from his mat. There's no hiding from it. It marked every waking moment of his life, life on the mat, right? It's clear as day to him and to anyone who saw him even from a distance. This guy is bound. He has a mat. But you and I hide our mats, and we hide from our mats, and probably it's much easier than it should be and much more tempting than it should be for us to just pretend that there is no mat and never has been any mat in our life. That's why Titus 3, which is, I mean, just as applicable to us as it was to Paul and to those he first wrote it to. That's why Titus 3 is very important for us to remember. Titus 3.3 3 says this, for we also once were foolish ourselves. We too were disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but he saved us according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We like to hide our mats. We like to hide from our mats and forget that they are there or were there or that we've had them at some point or some time. But I would bet... I, at least I, I hope that someone, somewhere, sometime was to you, as someone or many someones have been to me, people who came to me and saw me with my mat, instead of walking around me and my mat, they saw me on my mat, they came to me and they picked me and my mat up and they carried me to Jesus. And I would bet and I at least hope that you've had some people like that. It would not be good for us to be stuck in the past and always think about our mat and not live in the grace that Jesus affords us. But it is good and it is right for us to remember that we have been people on the mat and sometimes we still carry a mat with us. And it is good to remember those who, who the Lord has used to carry us to one who would actually help us. Now look at your text again. I want you to see these four friends, what happens when they attempt to carry the paralytic to Jesus. Verse 2, it says, many were gathered together so that there was... No room. Somebody say no room. no room. There was no room, not even near the door where these guys could like come in the doorway and wave and say, well, just kind of let us squeeze in the back. There's, there's no room. And Jesus was there speaking the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men, being unable to get to him because of the crowd. Again, there was no room. So what did they do? They made room for him to see Jesus. There was no room, so they said, you know what, we will make room. They removed the roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. Luke 
And his gospel adds this detail. I love it. They led him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd. And you could just visualize it. Smack dab right in front of Jesus. And you wonder, like, who noticed it first as it was, as it, as it was coming down? The ceiling fan is coming down. What is happening here? They brought him to Jesus because they really believed if we, if we could just get our guy there, if we can just get our guy in front of the real Jesus, something will happen. Something will change. And I want you to take note of this. These four guys, they didn't simply invite him to Jesus, but they bring him to Jesus. There's a difference. You see that? They didn't just say, hey, dude, Jesus is in town. He works miracles. We don't know everything, but we know something. Jesus is here. We're going to go see him. You ought to think about that. They didn't just say, you ought to go see Jesus. They bring him to Jesus. They didn't sit back and postulate on what good words or good works would do here or what's the right way to behave, what's the duty of man in this culture, in this time, in this season, what's the appropriate way that we should act in this moment. They didn't say, well, you know, we could bring him to Jesus. And then one guy's like, it's a great idea. Don't you think we ought to pray about that first? Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. You should pray about that first. And then gather up and say, oh, dear Lord, God, would you want us to help our friend come to see Jesus? God, what's your will today? God, do you will that we would bring our friend to Jesus? We'll wait on your answer. Amen. And then just, you know, we'll wait for writing on a wall and we'll just go find something to occupy our time until then. They scoop their friend up and they say, come on, buddy, we're going. You're going to see Jesus today. And there are obstacles in the way. The man can't get up and walk with them. They're not hopping in the car and driving to Jesus. They've got to put him on a pallet and carry him to Jesus. There are obstacles. There's a, a full room, full all the way to the door. There's no getting in. There's obstacles, but obstacles won't stop them because they intend my friend will see Jesus today. They intend that this will happen. They hoped that it would make all the difference in the world, and they dreamed he would be healed if only he could see Jesus. If we can get our guy in front of Jesus, something is going to happen. And I wonder what would happen around us if we had the same kind of eager expectation as these guys did about believing that people around us, if we could just get them in front of the real Jesus, that something life-changing and life-altering would have for them if they could just encounter Jesus. And I believe that a lot of us deep down want that. I really believe this, that deep down every one of you, me and every one of you, we have people in our life that we know, people who are, some are family, some are friends, some are coworkers, some are classmates, that we go, I just wish that they could meet the Jesus that I know and love and worship, who has saved me. They don't know him like I know him, and there are obstacles. I just wish, I wish I could just pick them up and carry them and, and lower them down right in front of Jesus so that they could see him and be changed by him. I believe that we want that, but there are obstacles. We've seen the obstacles, and they get to us. Some of them are, look, we know where we live. The whole world has moved to this community. And so some of our friends and our coworkers, our classmates, they were born in different traditions with other religions, and they just don't know the truth about who Jesus really is. They don't know it. They can't see it. And we wish we could just pick them up and lower them through the roof and say, Jesus, look at him in the face and you'll know it for certain. I know it. I wish you would know it. And some of us, we, we go, I've tried to put it out there a little bit for my friend or my family member. I've said church. I've said Jesus. I've said Bible. I've said the word prayer. And they just don't show any, any interest. And I'm afraid if I keep pushing, if I keep talking about it, they're going to think I'm just some weird religious nutcase. Can I tell you something? If you're trying to live a life of faith 
and consistency at all, they probably already think that about you, okay? I mean, what normal person desires to give away a large portion of their income? What normal person forgives their enemies, those who mistreat them? They do good to them. They love their enemy. What normal person stakes their entire life, their identity, their, their life, their faith, their future on a dying and rising Messiah? That's weird to the world, isn't it? Jesus said it would be weird to the world. Paul wrote that it was foolishness to the world. They probably already think that you're a little weird if you're trying to live a life of faith at all. There are obstacles, but we can't let them get in the way. There's a children's book that we have been reading in our home for about the last year. It's got this little kid who's just immigrated from Nigeria, and he is so excited about his first day at school. He, He has his daishiki that represents the colors of his homeland, and he's ready just to to bring his life to them and to make new friendships, and he walks into the classroom, and on the first day, All the kids laugh at him because he's different. He looks different. He sounds different. His hair is different. His clothes are different. And he runs out of the room crying because he can't fit in. Teacher comes to him. He says, oh, but you weren't made to fit in. I believe you were made to stand out. I love this. I love, think about this. Jesus stood out in every way. There was no fitting in. When it came to Jesus, he couldn't fit in. He's too glorious. He's too good, too powerful, too graceful, too humble to be a king, too humble to be the son of God who he claimed to be. He stood out in every single way. And get this, Christians are called to stand out in the world, not fit in. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said that Christians are are like a city on a hill which cannot be hidden. Cannot, not should not or, or, or might not. You should stand out. He went on to say it's like a, a, a candle or a lantern. You don't light a lantern and then cover it up or put it away. No, you light it and you put it up on a stand so that everyone can see by its light. Christians are supposed to stand out. When you look at these guys in the story, I mean, they're, they're probably not Christians yet. They, they probably haven't heard the gospel yet. They probably haven't trusted Jesus fully yet. And yet their actions in the face of obstacles are something that stands out. They see the problems, but they won't let it stop them. They tear the roof off and lower their friend down in front of Jesus. But can I tell you what pulled them forward? It's in verse 5. And see Jesus seeing their what? Their faith. Their faith drove them forward. And according to the Gospels, what Jesus does when he sees them tells you everything about what he saw when he saw them. He didn't just see four sweaty faces. You look at verse 8, you get this image that we see of Jesus in a lot of places in the Gospels. That Jesus, when he looked, he didn't only look with, with physical eyes, he looked with spiritual eyes. And so he could see deeper, he could understand deeper what's going on in the hearts and the minds and the conscience of men and women. Verse 8, he looks at the religious leaders, and he didn't just see religious leaders over there with their, you know, the, the whatever signified that we're important people. He looked at them and he saw their malicious hearts. He saw their criticizing hearts. He saw what was really going on and he looks at him and he goes, why are you guys like that? What happened to you? And here when he looks up through the hole in the roof, there's four guys looking down at him. And what does Jesus see? He sees hopeful faces. He sees people who love in spite of shame and brokenness. 
a person who would have been marginalized in their society. He sees their faith in him to do what needed to be done to bring healing and help and hope to their friend. And here's a picture of real faith that I want you to see this morning. Real faith, let me give you a definition. Real faith is always rooted in the truth. It's rooted in truth. Jesus is in this room and it says he's preaching the word. He's teaching the word, right? He's telling the truth to all that would hear. Real faith is not rooted in, in, well, I fall down if I step off this edge, right? It's rooted in truth. Jesus is telling the truth. It's not just rooted in truth. It's rooted in God's declaration of who he is. And we don't have all of the sermon points from this sermon that Jesus is preaching in this house. But if you look at Jesus' sermons throughout the Gospels, you find Jesus is always telling people who he is and how what he's doing is connected to all of the prophecies in the Old Testament about what God would do for his people. Jesus is always saying, all of the things that God promised are fulfilled in me. I'm him. I'm the guy. I'm what you have wanted, what you have longed for, what you have needed for so long. It's all here in me. And real faith is not just rooted in truth. It's rooted in the the truth about who God is. And that's what Jesus is here telling them. And I want you to understand this too. Faith is never just conceptual. It's never just mental assent. It's never just going, oh, yeah, I hear that and I agree with that. Faith is always in action. Faith always takes action. It doesn't just change the way you see and think about things. It changes the way that you behave and the way that you act. And these guys here, when you look at them in Mark 2, because they really did believe that Jesus had the power to do the things that Jesus said that he could do, because they really believed that Jesus had the heart that he said that he had, They took radical measures. They did crazy things to get their friend in front of Jesus, trusting and believing that he would do something to help him. And do you have any idea what the faith of one person can do for a friend? Verse 5. Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. That is not what they expected. (laughs) That is not at all what they expected. They thought that the need was simply external, that it was only a physical need. He had a paralyzed body. He had an illness in his body that kept him from being able to live his best life now. He needs his body to be fixed. But Jesus looked, and he gave them so much more. Verse 9, which is easier to say to the paralytic, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say get up and pick up your pallet and walk, implying Sins are forgiven is a much weightier, much, much more gravity-bound thing that I am doing here. Get up and walk is easy for me so that you'll know that I have this authority. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, go ahead, get up and walk, pick up your pallet and go home. And immediately the guy got up, he picked up his pallet, he went out of sight in front of everyone. So they were all amazed and glorifying God saying, we've never seen anything like this. And I love this text. I love it because I've known it for so long and it still captivates my mind and my heart. It still grabs my attention. This moment, this peek into the life and the heart of Jesus as he walked on earth and did ministry here. And I think that we could spend a lot of time making observations more and more and more, asking questions and learning so many things from it. But today what I want you to learn from it is that there was no room for this man to get to Jesus And so many things can get in a person's way, can't they? There was no room for this man to get to Jesus in in the estimation of those who stood around the room. There was no room 
And so many things can, can get in the way of a person coming to know and to see and to experience Jesus for themselves. When the paralyzed man could do so little for himself, it was the act of faith of his friends that made all of the difference. And their faith was persistent. It was their faith. Their faith was creative that got them there. And their faith was sacrificial because guess what? Somebody has to go and fix the roof later, pay for it, get a contractor to do it, deal with contractors, which no offense if you're a contractor, but my goodness, somebody's going to have to pay the price of ripping a roof off of a house. So their faith is persistent. It's creative and it's sacrificial. Somebody's going to have to take care of this. One thing that I think the gospel writers are teaching us, when there is no room for this person, they will make room for this person to come to Jesus. When we look at at this story, I think the gospel writers are trying to impress upon us this. Sometimes the mats of those around us can so cripple a person. People in our family, people in our life, sometimes the mats of a person can so cripple their faith that we have to activate our faith in their life. Or we have to apply our faith in their life. I want to make sure this makes sense and that I don't confuse you on that. Sam Storms wrote a book about practicing faith. And he talked about how faith uh, is used in, in three different ways in the New Testament. One is saving faith or salvific faith. It's like Ephesians 2. It says, by grace we've been saved through faith. That is a faith that you can't give to someone else. They have to have their own faith in Christ to experience salvation. They can't borrow it from you. Just because your mom's a Christian doesn't mean you're a Christian, right? You have to have your own experience of faith to experience salvation. There's saving faith. There's also sustaining faith. That that helps press us through the tough times in life. That sustaining faith that says God is with me. He is for me. He will never leave me or forsake me. I believe he is sovereign. I believe that he cares. I believe that his love is for me. And that will help me on the tough days. That's sustaining faith. And then he talks about the gift of faith, that there's a giving faith, that there's a, a kind of faith that is meant to be shared. In fact, it comes from God, a faith that he puts in us when he desires to, to do something miraculous. So he gives us a faith to share with others so that we would be part of the miracle that he is doing in this world. And that is what these four guys in Mark 2 are showing or exhibiting. It's this giving faith. God has placed in them that they would press through every obstacle. First, the obstacle of we got to get this guy to Jesus. we got to get him there somehow. And it's going to be weird and we're going to look weird as we're showing up. But we're going to get past that. We're going to get him there. And they get there and they go, now we have another obstacle. We can't get in the room. That's trouble. What are we going to do here? God puts a faith in them that continues to press through every obstacle because God had the intention to do a miracle in this man's life on this day. And so he gave them a faith that they could apply to his life so that he would accomplish what he intended to accomplish. And what Jesus did when they got him there, oh man, it blew their socks off. To their delight, it was not just what they wanted What they wanted was their friend to be healed. It's not just what this guy wanted. If he was asked, what would you like for Christmas the day that Jesus comes? He'd say, I'd like to walk. I'd like to get off this mat. None of them could have conceived of what he would have received that day. So much more his sins are forgiven. So much more he's given restoration, reconciliation with God. He's given peace deep within his soul. He didn't just get what he wants. He gets what he needs. And the question that that I would leave you with in response to this text today, for whom are you actively making room for them to see Jesus? 
So many things come between our family members and our friends encountering Jesus, experiencing, experiencing his life and his grace in their life. So many things. For whom are you actively making room for them to see Jesus? Who are you building a pallet for, gathering up three friends for, saying, one, two, three, let's go. Who are you tearing roofs off for to make room that they would see Jesus? And look, you come and you ask me the same question. I'm ready to give you answers. Here it goes. First answer is, well, I invited them. I told them we got a Christmas Eve service. You know, they, it's up to them now, right? That's good. It's good. I'm not saying that's bad. That's good. But what else am I supposed to do? Well, bring them. I'll be at your house. The service starts at 5.30. I'm picking you up at 5.10. We want to be there and get some hot cocoa before it begins. I'll be out in front. I'm going to honk the horn. And if you don't come to the door, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tear the roof off. I'm coming, through the, I'm coming through the ceiling. I've seen it done. Jesus seemed to be pleased. I'm going to try it again. Don't call the cops on me. Oh, Kevin, well, well, that's cute and all. But, but, but what else? You know what? I prayed for him. And I told him that. I said, you know what? I'm going to pray for you. I'm praying for you, friend. What else am I supposed to do? Pray with them. Say, I want, I want to pray with you. I'm not just going to say, I'll be praying for you, and then go on your way. Say, hey, listen, I believe deeply in prayer. It's a way for us to know God and, and to, to be known by God and to be open with God about, our, about what's going on in our life. And I don't know how comfortable you are with prayer, but I'd like to pray with you. Is that okay? Can we do that just for a moment? I promise it won't be long and weird. Kevin prays a long time, but no one prays as long as Kevin prays. <laughs> Pray with them. Don't just invite, but, but bring them. Because listen, guys, if we're not praying and we're not prying off roofs, what are we doing? So many people feel as if there's no room. And we've been called to make room. And as we look at Christmas, the reality is if you're in Christ... Your celebration is full. It's not just a, a Christmas card or a commercial. It's not just a date on the calendar. It's the fullness of the heart that spills out because we know him. I just went to Elf. Santa Claus, I know him. We go Christmas. Jesus Christ, I know him. You too? Praise God for that. But there are people in our lives who celebrate it because it's a holiday on the calendar and they get some time off school and work and it's some times where there's some discounts at the store. And it's still a celebration, but that's not like ours. Who are you praying for? For whom are you prying off the roof to make room that your friends would experience Jesus? Can I pray for you? Jesus, you left eternity to enter time. Full divinity to wear humanity. Glory to wear humility. And you did so that you could walk in obedience, that you could say, no one is able to meet the standard but I will and I'll be faithful as a substitute so that I can bring with me many sons and daughters of God. And Lord, we thank you for those of us who have come to saving faith in Jesus. We thank you that you have brought us into your family. We pray that as family members, like a, 
holiday celebration with family, that we wouldn't come just expecting to be served, but as a member of the family, we'd come bringing gifts of service and gifts of joy and, and, and gifts to lay out before the family. We would bring with us our friends. We would bring with us our family members that we would offer our very lives. The celebration would be full, and I pray that you would use us this week as we look to Christmas to introduce those who are far from you to Jesus, to you, expecting, hoping, praying that everything would change for them as they did for the man on the mat. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.